You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Todd Wicks. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. In today's feature report, we have a teaser from Big Talk, where host Michael Glab covers the recent announcements of Cardinal Stage, the Bloomington Playwrights Project, and Pegasus Institute joining together for a three-way merger. More on that in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, bake those cookies on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, your environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Thursday, March 3rd. I'm Nathaniel Weinsaffel. The city of Bloomington announced this week that over $800,000 will be spent planting trees at over 300 locations throughout the city. The city hopes the new trees will improve air quality, provide more shade, and mitigate the occasional flood. Similarly, many of the sites chosen are in lower income areas as historically, higher income areas are often the sole benefactors of new city landscaping. The locations chosen have been listed on the City of Bloomington's website. The planting will begin in April. A recently passed Indiana Senate bill is likely to entice solar and wind businesses to the state. Senate Bill 411 establishes a new development center focused on renewable energy within the Indiana Economic Development Corporation that lists whether counties are commercially ready for renewable energies or not. This process is entirely optional, as it allows counties that want to attract renewable energy companies to do so, and counties that want to keep solar and wind out to do that. The bill has support from both environmental organizations and electric utilities, as they view it as a way for companies to reliably begin construction on new projects without the risk of individual counties passing laws against renewables. The bill has been modified by the Indiana House and is now making its way once again to the Indiana Senate before reaching Governor Holcomb's desk. A rare moment occurred at the United Nations climate meeting last week when the head of the Russian delegation apologized to the participants specifically those from Ukraine, for Russia's invasion of the country. This occurred during a virtual meeting of delegates from 195 nations seeking to finalize a new report about how climate change will impact parts of the world in the coming years. The head of the Russian delegation, Oleg Anisimov, a scientist at a St. Petersburg Hydrological Institute, admits that there is no justification for the current war in Ukraine. His Ukrainian counterpart, Svetlana Krakowska, spoke as well and highlighted how fossil fuels are an important factor 
that caused Putin to invade Ukraine. Krakowska stated that the Russian dependency on its oil exports and Ukraine's newfound abundance of oil and relative location to Russia's buyers in the West may have partially led to the invasion. These reasons were also cited for being one of the causes of Russia's invasion into Crimea in 2014. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on February 23rd, journalist Dave Askins asked about construction at early voting sites and if everything will be finalized before early voting in April. Facility manager Greg Crone answered that he believes it will be. We definitely recognize that time is of the essence with this project, but um, the work that is required uh, in order to use that as an early voting site we're working our best to have that work completed by the end of March, well ahead of the April 5th voting, which would allow elections to get in there and set up the way they'd like to. So um, we're looking, like I said, for the last week of March to complete work. No work will be going on during election periods. The commissioners heard from the assistant director of the planning department, Jackie Nestor Jalen, about a scrap metal processing facility that would require a zoning ordinance change. The purpose of this amendment is to add a new use called scrap metal processing facility. And this use would only be permitted in the heavy industrial zone um, under our our zoning map. Um, This amendment includes a definition that is aligned with the Indiana state statute and also places standards for the permitted use which includes the following. The facility is accessed and served by a road infrastructure sufficient to safely transport scrap metal by truck bed, trailer, or semi-trailer, and is sufficiently buffered by natural objects, plantings, fences, or other appropriate means, so it is substantially screened from main traveled way of the system. The outdoor storage area shall be limited to 100,000 square feet or less and be located in an area that complies with the buildable area provision in Chapter 804-4E. The need for this text amendment is due to the fact that scrap metal recycling is not considered solid waste by the Indiana Department of Environmental Management or the Solid Waste District, and therefore there is a gap currently in our zoning ordinance. She said the facility would be to reuse iron, steel, or non-ferrous metal. Nestor Jalen shared that the plan commission recommended the approval of the ordinance 7-0. Commissioner Penny Givens asked about whether the ordinance allowed melting appliances like refrigerators and freezers that have Freon in them. She explained she is concerned about chemicals going into the groundwater and recommended a concrete pad to contain any spills. Jackie Nestor Jalen said that the commissioners can add amendments and then get them approved by the plan commission. This uh, list does not exclude appliances, so that would be something that if you would like to see added to the definition, we would be able to do so, and then it would go back to the plan commission. I can see under the Indiana Code if there is a sort of an umbrella definition that might cover um, appliance exclusion, but um, if not, we might just have to rework it a little bit if that is 
what you would prefer to do. Commissioner Julie Thomas said that she would not approve of the ordinance unless more parameters were put into place. This is a general change to our ordinance um, that would impact anybody who wants to do this kind of work in heavy industrial. Um, and I recognize that. However, this this um, amendment is being offered as a result of a specific petitioner wanting to provide this service. And I find it really um, um, it's it's just not limited enough um, for my for my taste. I am concerned because we have had um, events in county's history <laughs> where fluids, oils, PCBs have um, uh, leached into our groundwater um, and into our um, into our environment. And it's, I don't want this to happen again. Um, one of the things that I know this particular petitioner um, has been involved in is I believe that they also process ordinance from Crane. Um, and I would want some very specific um things here about containment of fluids or exclusion, as Commissioner Githens uh, pointed out, um, an actual exclusion for anything containing Freon or any um, motor vehicles um, or um, anything with a battery. I mean, it, it really would be pretty exclusionary. Um, for me to be comfortable with this. During public comment, Monroe County resident Mark Cranley spoke in opposition of the facility. I'm actually the attorney for Republic Services, which is right next door to the site. And we oppose the site. We have opposed it at the Plan Commission. Uh, I'm not going to make all the, the points we have regarding this project because we're specifically talking about the change in uh, the, the use there is a wetland feature on this surface. It is uh, upgrading from bodies of water. It's near the wastewater, uh, the water treatment facility. It's less than 1,700 feet from residential housing. There's, there's several very significant problems. But what I really want to address is the proposal that this is not uh, solid waste uh, that's being brought in. It, it absolutely is. Under uh, the, the, the definition of solid waste under Indiana's IDEMS regulations and Indiana statutes uh, that define solid waste. Solid waste is, is essentially anything that's being brought on the website um, that's garbage or uh, waste material or discarded material. So they're proposing to have people come in and bring appliances, anything that has metal in it, drop it off. And they're trying to get around the definition saying, well, you know, we're going to pay for this stuff. But, Use your imagination to think about the things people are going to want to dump here that have absolutely no value. It was described in the planning commission meetings as a transfer that would operate with a, a waste transfer. Uh, that's obviously a lot different than what's been presented to you. Great concern to anyone living in this area. They've, they've also indicated that they want the heavy industrial characterization, and they may or may not actually do this. They may actually put a manufacturing. 
Commissioner Julie Thomas suggested they revisit the ordinance at the next meeting on March 9th. In today's feature report, we have a teaser from Big Talk, where host Michael Glab covers the recent announcement of Cardinal Stage, the Bloomington Playwrights Project, and Pegasus Institute joining together for a three-way merger. This feature is a preview for the full interview, which will air tomorrow on Big Talk at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB. Three of Bloomington's most respected and popular arts organizations today announced they are joining forces to become one mega-organization. The three, the Cardinal Stage Company, the Bloomington Playwrights Project, and the Pegasus Institute, will become a new single entity on July 1, 2022. Cardinal Stage, the peripatetic theater company, has produced plays in various local venues since 2006. The Bloomington Playwrights Project has presented more than 500 first-run plays since its inception 43 years ago. And Pegasus Pictures, the film company that birthed the Pegasus Institute, has made four commercial films, including its latest an adaptation of Michael Corrida's best-selling mystery novel, So Cold the River. The Pegasus Institute has served as an incubator for young, aspiring filmmakers in Bloomington for the last several years. Under a new banner, the Combine will continue to bring first-run and traditional plays, as well as professional and student films, to the city. The new organization, its name to be announced at an April fundraiser, will be led by co-artistic directors Kate Galvin and Chad Rabinovitz and managing director Gabe Gloden. John Armstrong will head up the organization's fundraising efforts. Galvin currently serves as Cardinal's artistic director. Gloden is Cardinal's managing director. Rabinovitz is the producing artistic director for the BPP, and Armstrong is the co-founder of Pegasus Pictures and the executive director of the Pegasus Institute. The merger has been in the works for several years. Here's Kate Galvin. This idea had sort of been kicking around before I got to Cardinal. Chad and our managing director at Cardinal, Gabe Gloden, who had previously worked at BPP, had had some preliminary discussions about potentially joining forces between Cardinal and BPP, but Cardinal was in the midst of a leadership transition, and so that idea had to be tabled until they hired a new artistic director, who ended up being me. And then in the year that I arrived in Bloomington, Pegasus Institute was also getting off the ground, and both Cardinal and BPP were instrumental in helping launch the Bloomington Academy of Film and Theater. We've partnered with Pegasus in various ways to help get that organization off the ground with marketing support, with administrative support, teaching artists, things like that. So we sort of already had this three-way relationship developing in large degree, you know, thanks to to John and, and the folks at Pegasus as they sort of formed the, <laughs> the uh, keystone of our triangular <laughs> relationship. But yeah, when when the pandemic hit, we all 
had a little more bandwidth to think about how we could work better together. And we started talking more seriously about what a more formal relationship would look like. Should that just be a coalition or a partnership? Or should we actually join forces and form a new organization together? And, and ultimately, that's what we decided to do. And, and while I don't think the, um, and, and nor do I want to give the impression that like, we the pandemic weakened us to the point that we needed to do that. The pandemic certainly did allow us the capacity to sort of focus on this idea of the merger because we weren't on the treadmill of production in the same way we had been for years and years. After two years of the COVID-19 pandemic, arts organizations around the world have felt the pinch with curtailed production schedules and dramatically reduced ticket revenues. Bloomington's Cardinal Stage, BPP, and Pegasus took the break as an opportunity to hammer out a union. The three parties hope their new, stronger organization will benefit not only themselves, but the performing arts-loving public as well. Chad Rabinovitz explains who may benefit from this union. At the foundation is the question, can we serve the Bloomington community better together? And can we serve the national arts community, our theater community, better together? And the simple answer is yes. But we've spent two years analyzing that core question. And all of the metrics yield that we're simply going to be not just a large organization, but a more effective one, a more cost-effective one, and one that has a greater potential for the future uh, as we're innovating how theater and film, how new plays and established plays come together, and how our unique business model can revolutionize how the future of theater exists. The organization also will take control of the Waldron Arts Center from the city. The Waldron structure, originally the city's combined police and fire stations, had been operated for years by Ivy Tech, and reverted back to city ownership in January 2021. It has served as a visual arts exhibition space, a theater space, and has been the home of WFHB since 1994. The new organization hopes to reinvigorate the Waldron as a local and regional destination for theater, visual arts, and film lovers. Again, Kate Galvin. We're still in the negotiating process with the city, so hopefully that will be finalized soon. It's been a, a long road to get to uh, an agreement with the city because you know how bureaucracy moves. But the goal is that our management contract will take effect in July when our merger is official and legal. And we will uh, do a nice facelift for the building to make it a really exciting and vibrant place to be. We're aiming to open a lounge on the first floor opposite the gallery. Um, we will be maintaining the gallery and and uh, we'll have a gallery manager to make sure that there's visual art shows going in there four times a year. And we will be continuing to manage the space as a community arts venue. And I think that that's really important that everyone hear that. You know, it's not like we're taking over the building and we're the only people who are going to be using it. We're taking the uh, mantle uh, from Ivy Tech and we're, you know, carrying the baton forward to continue to provide uh, resources for our local arts groups 
including our own, <laughs> uh, to produce shows and to show their visual art. And we're really hoping to make it a more accessible space so that people who don't have as many resources as our organization are going to have are able to get their work off the ground. And, and we're, in fact, working on ways to support them to do so. The Waldron, a venerable structure at the corner of 4th and Walnut Streets, has undergone a number of renovations since it was built more than a 100 years ago and continues to require extraordinary maintenance and refurbishing to this day. The new organization hopes to complete renovation work on the Waldron, costing a total of $1 million by the fall. The heftier organization will require equally heftier financial support. Add to the normal costs of productions, equipment rentals and ownership, labor costs, rights fees, and many other expenses, the new organization also will have to foot the remaining cost of the work being done on the Waldron. John Armstrong already has lined up dollar support for the organization's ambitious plans. Luckily, the city, after their exploration and feasibility of the building, agreed to a, a sizable commitment of a half a million dollars in the building to take care of all the deferred maintenance. The building needed a lot of work just to be able to open the doors again as it was. When we came together with this larger vision, our first stop was Cook Group and Carl Cook specifically. So we have a wonderful commitment from Cook Group to support operations of our organization and uh, another very generous contribution from Carl Cook to be able to go into the building specifically and give it a sizable facelift. So we uh, have a great leg up in our fundraising efforts. However, it, in order to maintain our status as a community arts organization, we really have to rally the community around this effort. And it's only going to be successful if the community decides that they want it to be. Plays produced by the new organization will be staged at the BPP's Ted Jones Playhouse, the two theater spaces in the Waldron Center, and the Budskirk Chumley Theater. Pegasus will continue to provide technical and hardware support for aspiring filmmakers. The organization will sponsor an education and outreach program to help young creators get a start in their respective fields. The new organization's name will be announced at a fundraiser, The Big Bang, Saturday, April 23rd, 2022, at One World at the Woolery Mill. Tickets for the event will be available at the Cardinal Stage website beginning next week. John Armstrong, Kate Galvin, and Chad Rabinovitz spoke with me, Michael Glab, for the program Big Talk. The entire interview with them will air tomorrow, Thursday, March 3rd at 5.30 p.m. after the Daily Local News. If you miss it, you can catch all the archived Big Talks at WFHB.org. Pull down the program's menu and select Big Talk. Up next, bake those cookies on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. Host and producer Richard Fish says every time you go online, you're being stalked, tracked by the websites you visit. We turn to Richard Fish for more. 
Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Every time you go online these days, someone, and it's usually many someones, is stalking you. Websites all over the world are tracking where you go, what you do, and especially what you look at when you're browsing or shopping. This is called ad tracking, and you've probably seen the results. Like when you search for a new laptop computer or a new video game, and you immediately start seeing ads for various kinds of laptops or games popping up on other websites or even in your email. The European Union has now passed strict data privacy laws, and there is a growing backlash in the U.S. against predatory data collection. The way this process works involves cookies, small bits of digital code that can be stored on your computer but are usually stored on other computers, the website you've just visited, or a third-party website that distributes the cookies to others. A cookie identifies your digital device and contains information about what you've been doing. Over time, these cookies can build up a very detailed picture of who you are, what you like, what you do, and that information can be annoying when used legally and downright dangerous when a hacker gets hold of it. I hope I don't have to remind you how many major retailers have had their computers hacked in the last few years. The cookies we're talking about here are the so-called third-party cookies. They're created not by the website you're visiting, but by other companies, the ones that make and sell products to the store you're virtually shopping in. If you value your privacy, here are some things you can do to get control of the situation. Most web browsers now have a setting that says Do Not Track or Send a Do Not Track Request to Websites find it. It's usually in a preferences or options section labeled with the word privacy and turn it on. Apple's iPhones now have an app tracking transparency feature in the settings and you can use that to identify and make changes in any app you're using that tracks you. Google and Facebook make huge amounts of money from targeted advertising. For Facebook, it's the overwhelming majority of the company's revenue. So they don't make it particularly easy for you to control ad tracking, but it is possible. Google, of course, includes the Chrome browser, Gmail, and YouTube. If you have a Google account, you can go to Ad Settings, all one word, adsettings.google.com, sign in, and turn off ad personalization. And Google will help you check your privacy and security settings. Facebook also has settings and privacy you can click on when you're logged in. But here's the main point. You have to do it. Websites are built to track you. You will be stalked on the Internet unless you take the time to turn up the heat and bake those cookies. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar-powered generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Michael Glab. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, climate action from the bottom up, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.